This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio, the 13th day of March 2023. And, oh, my God, what a crazy weekend it was. Of course, lots of things going on, but NCAA basketball first on the list for everybody as March Madness Gets ready to start. We have the brackets uh, in. We have them all filled out. Uh, we're going to get over all that uh, here in a couple of minutes. Uh, a big upset yesterday. Uh, Houston lost uh, in the uh, American Conference Finals to Memphis. They get upset 75-65. to 65. Uh, Really the, uh, uh, the only shocker from yesterday. Uh, Purdue managed to hang on to beat uh, Penn State in the Big Ten Tournament. Uh, the number five seed uh, ends up winning that one, uh, 67 to 65. And uh, of course, the selection shows uh, come out yesterday. To no one's surprise, uh, the University of North Carolina does not make the NCAA tournament. Uh, they are left out, and uh, they become the first team since the bracket expanded to 64 teams to start the season ranked as number one and not make it to the NCAA tournament. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. You know, it's uh, – and, and in what North Carolina did, they had an invitation to the uh, the NIT, and they said, no, we're not going to go. If we can't go to the NCAA tournament, we're going to stay home. Hubert Davis kind of characterized it as uh, this is a chance for us to reset and start working on next season already and get ready to win the uh, – uh, the Atlantic Coast Conference. Uh, to me, it smells of uh, elitism. You know, to me, uh, it's a load of crap. It's just like, meh. It's you know, it's like if I can't be in the, if I can't get what I want, I'm just going to take my ball and go home. And uh, you know, look, I, they won 20 games this year, but they did not beat anybody of any substance. And, and I know it's North Carolina basketball. I know the history with Dean Smith and. And, uh, you know, all the, the championships. And, of course, Michael Jordan played there and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, um, if you want to build towards next year, to me, the NIT could be a way to do that. I mean, they're, again, they're going to say, well, we won 20-plus games. We don't need that. I just think that it's kind of sour grapes, and uh, I don't think it's a good look for the University of North Carolina. Not that anybody asked me. They're not the first team to do that, by the way, that have turned down an NIT bid after not getting in. But I, you know, and and maybe some of my um, view on the whole thing was back years ago when Jim Calhoun was coaching the University of Connecticut. You know, early on, and they did not make 
the NCAA tournament and they went to the NITs and they won the NIT and that was the springboard that kind of propelled UConn to being where they are now, where the University of Connecticut is now a national power uh, in men's basketball. And the NIT was that springboard that did it. Again, North Carolina is going to say, well, we've, you know, we've been a national power. We don't need this. But I still think it smells of elitism. That's just me. Um, as far as the men's side goes, the number one seeds are Alabama, Houston, Kansas, and Purdue. Houston gets that number one seed uh, despite losing their conference tournament game. Alabama is picked as the number one overall seed. Um, look, you know, Alabama ran through the SEC tournament, and every game they won was double digits. They just kicked the crap out of everybody. Um, and yet they are doing this at a time when they're dealing with this whole, uh, these legal issues with, uh, Darius Miles, their former player, um, who has been accused of capital murder and one of the, one of their, uh, players still on the team being accused of being the guy that brought him the gun. Um, so they have had to, uh, navigate that as well, but you could make the case that Alabama is peaking at the right time. They're the number one overall seed, and you could you could make the case that they are the team that is the hottest team right now in the country because of the way they're playing. And this has been such a strange year where we have had so many different number one teams. It is really hard to wrap your head around who is going to be the national champion? And I, you know, look, I filled out my bracket, um, and I only have two of the number one seeds making it to the final four. I have Houston and Kansas making it to the final four. I have both Alabama and Purdue getting knocked out. I have uh, Baylor knocking out Alabama in the round of eight, and I have uh, Kansas State taking out Purdue in the round of eight as well. And then I have a Baylor-Houston final, a all-Texas final, and uh, which would be hysterical considering that the national championship game is being played in Houston, Texas. So how about that? How about two local teams playing for the national championship game in Houston, Texas? That's what I've got. Um, you know, and uh, for Kansas, and I'm I'm not, uh, and and I give Kansas a shot at this. Bill Self, uh, their head coach, missed out on the uh, the tournament because he had to go undergo a heart procedure. Now they said he did not have a heart attack, but I guess. He uh, was not feeling well, and he was having some uh, tightness, I guess it was, and, and he, he had some balance issues, so he went to his doctor, and they placed two stents uh, to uh, treat blocked arteries in his heart. So it's one of those cases where he felt something wasn't right, went in, got it taken care of, and the 60-year-old coach uh, will likely be back on the bench for the start of the NCAA tournament. Uh, he'll, they expect him to be back in the office. They, the doctors at the hospital said it's a routine procedure. 
Um, so he will be probably back in the office today. And, uh, you know, and then we'll see. I mean, obviously it's going to be up to their doctors, but uh, I don't believe they play uh, until Friday. So he'll have a few more days to get better, and it's just going to be a matter of whether the doctors say it's okay. But um, but I, I think that we're going to have an all-Texas final. And uh, uh, obviously me being a Connecticut native, uh, you know, UConn got a number four seed. UConn got a pretty favorable draw, quite frankly. Um, they uh, will play Iona in the first round of the tournament. UConn a four seed against number 13 Iona, which is coached by – uh, the legendary Rick Pitino. There's already rumors that Rick Pitino is going to leave Iona to coach St. John's. The St. John's job is open after firing their coach at the end of the season. A lot of people think he will return to the Big East. Um, not sure about that. We'll see. But if they beat if they beat Iona, UConn, which they will, Iona's never won a game in the NCAA tournament. They're 0 14. That would if Iona wins this game, it would be a monumental upset. And then UConn would play the winner of the number 5-12 game. That would be either St. Mary's from California or Virginia Commonwealth. Uh, I I assume St. Mary's will win that. And then UConn should get by them. And then in the Sweet 16, UConn's going to have to take on Kansas. I don't see that happening. I mean, it could. I mean, UConn, by a lot of people, there's actually people in the – uh, you know, in, in the, the world of, uh, you know, predicting these kinds of things and in the world of media that think UConn's got an, a shot. Um, uh, Jay Billis from ESPN has picked UConn to win the whole thing. I think he's smoking something, but, hey, you know, being a Connecticut native, I wouldn't be, uh, I, I wouldn't be uh, adverse to that. Reese Davis thinks that they'll get to the national title game and lose to Alabama, but, hey, um, if you look at all the, the the metrics and all the odds and stuff, you UConn has uh, if if and I'm not a better and you know how I feel. And those of you that listen to this show, I think that uh, the start of legalized betting across this country is an awful thing. You know, I'm not going to go as far as to say it's going to be that you know it's going to ruin our 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 society. I think that's already been done, but it's just not. It's just. You know, Nesson's just announced a big partnership with, uh, uh, I think it's with FanDuel's. And, you know, it's just like, uh, I, I, and just a little bit of a tangent here. You will never hear me say very often that I agree with something that Kyrie Irving says. Kyrie Irving, um, I think it was on Friday, after a game, went on a rant about gambling on sports. And... Basically told fans, knock it off. Because, you know, he is constantly getting uh, messages on social media, and he's not the only one. People being pissed off because either he didn't do what he was supposed to do or the team didn't do what they were supposed to do, and it cost them money because they bet on the game. And basically what he said is, if you bet on the game, you're a moron. If you bet on sports, you're a moron. I'm not going to go that far. I have friends that love to gamble. You know, I have friends that are all over this kind of stuff. I am not. Now, having said all that, if you look at what Vegas thinks and what the odds makers thinks and and look at the numbers, UConn has got the fourth best chance, according to those that uh, calculate these things. UConn has an 8% chance to win the national title. 
Uh, I mean, it's better than no chance, I guess. But, uh, you know, their numbers are pretty favorable. My problem with UConn is is that they don't have a go-to guy where if the game gets tight, that they can break somebody down off the dribble and they can score. That's the problem that UConn has. They are they play great defense, but they get sloppy with the basketball, and their offense um, is confusing because nobody can take charge of that offense. You know, I mean, look, if they get it down into the paint to Adama Sinogo, you know, he's had a great season, but they don't they don't have that go-to guy. You need that guy that can take the ball out on the perimeter and get to the basket and score, and you know if he gets the ball, they can't stop him. UConn doesn't have that. So that's what I think is going to stop UConn um, from getting much farther than the Sweet 16. Uh, and by the way, only one number four seed in the history of the NCAA tournament has won the whole thing. Um, the only time that ever happened was Arizona back in 1997. 65% of the champions have been number one seeds, and 90% of the champions have been a three seed or better. So uh, if you have, uh, you know, if you have somebody that in your bracket that is outside the top three, history is not on your side. You know, and I have, I have uh, two number three seeds getting to the final four. Baylor and Kansas State are both number three seeds. But then I have two number one seeds in Kansas and Houston. So, uh, so we'll see. But uh, you know, it, it's uh, uh, this is my favorite time of year. You know, and I've said many times how I, um, I don't watch the NBA the way I used to. I think the game has changed. It's not as much fun. It's not as much of a team game as it used to be. It's just a bunch of uh, hoisting up. How many three-pointers can we hoist up and how far away can they be and how little defense can we possibly play? I can watch very little NBA basketball. If I watch a half of a game, that's a lot. You know, and I, you know, I'm a lifelong Celtics fan. It is hard for me to watch an entire game. But I can watch any college basketball game, any, and I will be I will be overdosing on college basketball. My wife will probably want to put a steak knife through my heart before the next couple of weeks are over. Uh, but I will, you know, I will I will consume college basketball, uh, and you know. I will consume men's basketball more than I will the women's game, but I will watch the women's tournament. The women's tournament has become much more compelling than it used to be. When it was back in the day when there were only three or four good teams, it was not a lot of fun to watch in a, until it got to the, maybe the final four, maybe the final eight, but usually it was the final four before I paid any attention. And coming from UConn, a team that is a perennial Final Four contender, I didn't pay any attention really until UConn got there because it didn't just wasn't going to matter. That's not the case anymore. Not at all. Um, now, for the women's tournament, no surprise, South Carolina, the number one overall seed. They are looking to... Uh, run through the tur- the uh, the entire season being undefeated. They will be the tenth women's basketball team to go undefeated for an entire season. Um, if they if they pull this off, and I have no reason to suspect 
that they won't. Uh, they had a couple of games this year where they got challenged. Uh, UConn was one of the teams that pushed them, and UConn did it, by the way, at a time when they were really banged up and they had seven healthy players. And uh, since then, they have gotten Caroline Ducharme back. They have gotten AZ Fudd back. Uh, this UConn team ran through the Big East tournament beating the snot out of people. And a couple of teams that had beaten them in the regular season, UConn beat the crap out of them. UConn is another one of those teams where you could say they are peaking at the right time. For that reason, I have UConn and South Carolina in the national championship game. I think that uh, uh, I think UConn is going to beat uh, – uh, I, I think they'll beat Iowa State in the Elite Eight. I think they beat LSU in the Final Four, and it'll be them in South Carolina – I still have South Carolina winning the same thing, uh, the whole thing. I think South Carolina's just got too many weapons, and I think UConn's not healthy enough. Look, if if this was, you know, if this was a different scenario, and Paige Beckers was healthy, and Ice Brady was healthy, and they had AZ Fudd and the rest of the, these guys, UConn wins the whole thing. UConn has the most talent on their roster of any team in the country. Period. However, two of their best players are out for the season in Beckers and Brady. If they had those, you know, if they had those two young ladies, they win this thing. But I think South Carolina wins this. Um, you know, I'm the only hope uh, I have as far as that goes is that it's a good game. But I think UConn is peaking at the right time to get themselves as a number two seed uh, to the Final Four. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, all right, uh, there was a big football trade over the weekend. We don't talk a lot of NFL football usually in the offseason, but we are going to do that a little bit more this week. Matter of fact, uh, I, I was in touch with Dan Zampano yesterday. We're going to have him on this week. Free agency starts this week. It's the uh, official tampering period, or, or uh, I, I don't know what the hell they – I can't remember what the hell they call it. But uh, basically, uh, uh, you can't sign anybody yet, but you can start talking to people. And that's going to happen this week. Well, ahead of that, the the uh, Los Angeles Rams traded Jalen Ramsey, their all-pro cornerback, to the Miami Dolphins in exchange for a third-round pick in the upcoming draft and tight end Hunter Long. Uh, Ramsey has wanted to be traded. He has, and he reached after the news broke yesterday. Ramsey said that that was actually his preferred destination. Well, you know, look, if you're going to play football, why wouldn't you want to play it in Miami? Uh you know, I mean, uh, talk about a great place to have your games, right? Um, and this is the guy, look, he had 88 tackles, four interceptions last year. He's been a Pro Bowl player six times, uh, and he goes to a team that stunk on defense last year. They were 18th in total defense, 24th in scoring, and 27th against the pass. But they've got a new uh, defensive coordinator, former Denver head coach Vic Fangio, has come on to lead the defense and those pair of cornerbacks now with Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey are going to be a formidable uh, problem for quarterbacks in the AFC East. Uh, I'm not going to get into a lot of the stuff with the Patriots and what that means for them. We'll, we'll talk to Dan about that later in the week. Uh, but this was a huge trade yesterday with implications for uh, anybody that's a fan of the Buffalo Bills or the uh, New England Patriots or the Jets. Uh, they have just upped the ante. Um, and, of course, the other thing that happened on Friday after the uh, show, the entire draft got shaken up when the Carolina Panthers traded with the Chicago Bears for the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft. 
The Bears traded their first pick uh, in exchange for uh, wide receiver DJ Moore, uh, the number nine pick, the number 61 pick, and then a first in 2024, a second in 2025. That is a ton that the Bears got. Now, why did they get all that? Well, the Bears don't need the number one pick. I mean, look, they stink and they need a lot of things, but they traded down from number one to number nine, essentially, then got a second-round pick and then two more picks in upcoming drafts. They they have a lot of things that they need, but one thing they don't need is a quarterback. Justin Fields is their quarterback of the future, and he showed that with the way he played this last season. Um, and the consensus number one and probably number two picks in this upcoming draft are going to be quarterbacks. It's going to be some combination probably of Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, or Anthony Richardson. Uh, Will Levis is also a kid um, a kid from Middletown, Connecticut, that played at Xavier High School. Um, I did some of his high school games when he was young. Uh, still can't believe he has uh, become what he has become. Um, but uh, quarterbacks are probably going to go one too. Well, Bears don't need it, so they trade down. That gives Carolina the chance to take a quarterback. Look, Carolina's quarterback situation has been in flux ever since Cam Newton. Right, Cam Newton was their guy, and then Cam Newton got hurt, fell off the cliff, and since then the Panthers have been searching for a quarterback. Now the question becomes, who do they take? Uh, now supposedly the owner is a huge fan of Will Levis from Kentucky, but you wonder if that changes based on the fact that they now have the number one pick. Uh, Bryce Young, in a lot of people's minds, is the consensus top guy. However, Bryce Young, there's issues with Bryce Young as far as his size goes. The guy that has really helped himself was Anthony Richardson out of Florida with the performance that he had in the combines. So uh, we'll see. And, uh, you know, and, and the owner and the head coach are going to have to get together and decide what they're going to do here. Now the owner writes the checks. So at the end of the day, uh, what Tepper the owner wants might be what Frank Reich is going to have to deal with uh, because Frank is getting paid and Tepper's going to say, this is our guy. You know, I mean, this is uh, it. Uh, he's not a he's not quite a Jerry Jones, uh, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, the owner writes the check. So we'll see. Um, I don't know that it's going to be Will Levis. I'll be shocked if Will Levis is the number one overall pick. Absolutely shocked. Um, because I'll take I'll tell you what I'll take Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, uh, or Anthony Richardson over Will Levis any day. And this is not to say anything bad against Will Levis. He did a great job at Kentucky. But I think those other three guys are just more talented. Uh, one other quick football note before we take a break. Bud Grant passed away yesterday. Um, the longtime head coach, member of the Hall of Fame from the Minnesota Vikings. He led the Vikings um, for 18 seasons, 1967 and 1985. Uh, they made four Super Bowls in his time there in eight years, and they lost them all. Um, but Bud Grant was a guy that, uh, he looked like a Marine Corps drill sergeant and, uh, on the sideline, never showed much emotion, very stoic. Um, but man, what a run 95 years old. And I, and I, I don't mean, uh, please don't take this the wrong way if you're a Vikings fan, but the Vikings, uh, put out a, uh, uh, 
a post on social media yesterday saying, uh, we are shocked by this terrible news. He was 95! How can you be shocked? I Look, um, I'll sign up for 95 right now. And please, if I live to be 95, don't be shocked when I die. Good Lord, but what a run, what a run for him. What a great coach he was. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's one of those things when you make four Super Bowls and you lose them all, it's it's kind of like that albatross around your neck that never goes away. But I'll tell you this, uh, there are hundreds of coaches that have been in the NFL that would love to have gotten to one Super Bowl, let alone four, whether you win or lose, just getting there is an accomplishment in itself. And so in no way should Bud Grant's legacy ever be tarnished by the fact that they never won one because it really, at the end of the day, uh, people would give uh, one of their kidneys to make it to a Super Bowl. 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning, the 13th day of – of March, I wonder. Uh, well, daylight saving time, of course, took place over the weekend, and you know, <laughs> I said to to my wife uh, Barb before she went to work on Sunday. I actually said it Saturday night before we went to bed. I said, I guarantee you, at your store tomorrow, there's going to be someone who's going to be late to work and say, "Oh, I didn't realize the clock's changed." Well, sure enough, <laughs> she got home, and that's exactly what happened. You know, people are making a lot out of whether we should have daylight saving time or not. And, you know, I'm kind of of a mind that why don't we just either stick to daylight savings time or not? You know, let's pick one or the other. This whole it doesn't really bother me. People are saying I, I, I think I mentioned this last week. They're saying that, you know, there's more heart attacks and stuff like that that happen at the, during the daylight savings time change than at any other time of the year. That doesn't make any sense to me. I think it's all I think it's all in your mind. Uh you know, people make such a big deal out of, you know, the clocks jumping for you go to bed an hour earlier. You know, how many of us have have, uh, you know, lost an hour of sleep because we uh, we stay up too late to watch a game or uh, a movie or whatever, you know, or back in back in the day when, you know, when we were in college and you stayed up all night to party or you stayed up all night to do a paper. It's usually one or the other. You know, I mean, it's at the, I mean, I think we're making way too much out of this. Uh, speaking of staying up late. As we segue nicely back into sports, I stayed up late last night, very late because the damn game didn't start till ten o'clock, to watch uh, Team USA in the World Baseball Classic take on Mexico, and I was sorry that I did. I actually, I now I will admit, I stayed up late. I stayed up till midnight. Um, I did not watch the end of it because there was just no point. Uh, Team USA got blasted. By Mexico last night, eleven to five. I mean, at one, it, at one point, this game was like seven to one, eight to. I was like, okay, I've had enough. But uh, Joey Men, uh, Meneses, who came up into the major leagues for the first time last year at the age of thirty, uh, playing for the Washington Nationals, and had a incredible last two months of the season. The last two months of the season last year, you know, and a lot of people are gonna say, who is this guy? And it's uh, it, look, you you can be forgiven if you really don't know who Joey Manessis is because he's a career minor leaguer. You didn't get there till you're 30, and he played for the Washington Nationals, who are um, not very relevant right now. 
Uh, but his final two months of the year last year, he had 324. 13 bombs in 56 games. Right? Slugged 563 over those final 56 games with an OP, uh, an on-base percentage of uh, 367. So you could be forgiven if you don't know who he is, but this is a guy that announced that he belongs in the major leagues last year. And uh, playing for Mexico in these first two games, he's got home runs in both games, and he hit an absolute missile last night off of Nick Martinez. Oh, no, it wasn't off Martinez. It was off of Brady Singer. Excuse me. Um, and now Team USA is 1-1 one one, uh, after you know beating up on Great Britain in the first game. They get drubbed by Mexico. And now USA has to turn around. They will play again tonight. Their final two games in this pool are against Canada and Colombia, who are both 1-0. Colombia beat Mexico in game number one, and then Canada uh, beat the crap out of Great Britain yesterday. So if you are uh, the United States, you can't afford to lose another game here. Now, I mean, anything can happen because tiebreakers come into it. But if you're the USA and you look at the fact that you got outscored by six runs last night, that is not going to help you in the tiebreaking situation. And if you are the manager for Team USA, Mark DeRosa, now you're scrambling going, oh, God, what do I do now? Because he had to dig deep last night into his uh, bullpen because they couldn't get an out. You know, Martinez ends up going just the first couple of innings. Or actually, I think he, he might have gone, uh, what, two and a third, two and two-thirds, something like that. And then they go to Kendall Graveman, who comes in, and I think Graveman just got one out. And uh, let me just check that. Yeah, he got one out. And then they bring in Singer, who couldn't throw a strike if his life depended on it. You know, and Martinez, who started the game, threw 57 pitches. So he's got, I think it's three days off now. Graveman just threw five, so he can come back. Singer threw 53, so he's going to take three days or four days off. Uh, Adovino pitched. Aaron Loop pitched. Devin Williams, Ryan Presley. I mean, they had they brought in everybody. So, if your team USA, you know, and and good for DeRosa. I mean, and he said, look, he said, I want nothing more than for these guys to repeat as champions and hold up a trophy. He said, but I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize their big league careers. I'm just not. And every major league manager that's got somebody playing for Team USA is saying, thank you very much. Because we have to remember, this is just an exhibition. It's not the uh, the end of the world. Um, but they have a pitching problem right now, you know, and uh, they've got to get through these next two games and somehow try to piece together uh, twenty seven outs in two games in a row and figure out how to get to advance to get through this thing. Uh, and look, you know, uh, it was disappointing, but. How do you think that some of these other teams feel right now who, you know, like how about Pool A, right? In Pool A, they had a five-way tie, a five-way tie to find out who was going to advance. And when uh, push comes to shove, uh, Cuba and Italy 
win the tiebreakers, and the Netherlands, Panama, and Chinese Taipei all go home despite the fact they had the same records, and it all came down to tiebreakers. Uh, so uh, Italy, who, by the way, is coached by Hall of Famer Mike Piazza, um, moves on, and I did not realize this. Matt Harvey, remember him? Former New York Met, Baltimore Oriole, uh, Los Angeles Angel. Um, he pitched, uh, the, he got the win in the final game when they beat Netherlands 7-1. to Threw four innings of uh, one-run ball. I guess if you're Matt Harvey, you're hoping maybe that you find a way to get back into uh, uh, Major League Baseball. The problem he's got is he's also got that problem with uh, uh, the whole drug thing when he was in Los Angeles with that uh, ended up uh, uh, with the death of one of his uh, teammates. Uh, he kind of got implicated in that a little bit. Um, so, uh, But anything could happen. Italy and Cuba move on in Group A. Japan and Australia move on in uh, Group B. Japan goes... 4-0. Japan is the team to beat. They are just killing people. Not a surprise. Shohei Otani uh, hit a ball yesterday in a game over Australia <laughs> that was just uh, – it may still be going. I mean, it was – it landed just below this huge uh, uh, board out in the outfield, a three-run shot in the first inning. Excuse me. And that was the difference in the game. They actually they asked the uh, Australian manager uh, when the game was over, so what do you think the turning point was in the game? And he says, oh, probably when Otani hit that ball about 500 feet in the first inning. <laughs> uh, so anyway, and then uh, in Pool D, uh, right now Venezuela is in uh, pretty good shape. They are 2-0. Uh, Israel picks up a win. They shocked Nicaragua. Uh, Team Israel now 1-0 in the tournament. Uh, Their hitting coach, by the way, is uh, Kevin Euclid, former uh, Boston Red Sox first baseman slash third baseman, and uh, their manager, uh, Ian Kinsler, longtime major leaguer. Puerto Rico 1-1 in Pool D, and the Dominican Republic, uh, who a lot of people thought was the favorite uh, to win this whole thing, lost to Venezuela. Uh, so the DR's got some work to do, but uh, I still expect with the rest of this pool uh, they will advance uh, into the next round. But, boy, I tell you what, it was it was tough sitting up last night until midnight to watch the USA just get absolutely eviscerated. That was absolutely brutal. Uh, in the afternoon, I watched the Red Sox take on the Yankees in the spring training game. Again, we know the games don't mean anything, but it's still the Yankees, so you pay attention. Um, and I paid attention to the way that Tanner Houck pitched yesterday he is right now slated to be in the Red Sox rotation uh, with the injuries to uh, James Paxton uh, with the fact that they're going to baby Chris Sale coming along uh, you know and uh, Brian Bayo's not going to be ready either so Hauk is definitely going to start the season in the rotation and it scares me he threw 75 pitches in three and a third innings uh, a lot of deep counts uh Two runs, four hits, walked a couple of guys. He struck out four, but he just can't locate. I really – look, a lot of people like this guy out of the bullpen. And I heard a stat yesterday that makes me think even more he belongs in the bullpen. I guess, you know, when he's – his first time through the lineup, he's really good. Second time through the lineup, his ERA jumps to six. The few times he got a third time through the lineup – his ERA jumped to 14 in those innings. So it tells you right now, unless he de- 
develops a really good third pitch, the Tanner Houck may be a career bullpen guy. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's got a ball that moves and he can strike guys out. And, and you know, but my problem is, is that he doesn't throw enough strikes. There's nothing that drives me nuts more than a pitcher that can't throw strikes. Uh, the Red Sox announced yesterday officially that Chris Sale will not be the opening day starter. Alex Cora said he actually had made that decision um, over a month ago and that he had talked to Sale about it and Sale was okay with it. And uh, Right now, Corey Kluber is probably their opening day starter. Uh, just based on results in spring training, uh, his uh, career, and uh, you know who else you got? Who else you got? We're not throwing Nick Pavetta opening day. Please God, no! I'm you know, the way Pavetta's pitching opening day. I'm scared to death about how he's going to be. Again, I know it, you don't want to read too much into the spring, but Pavetta's been awful uh, in his two spring training starts. So right now, Corey Kluber is probably uh, going to be your opening day starter for the Boston Red Sox. Saw an interview yesterday, if you watched the game, with uh, Justin Turner. His face actually looks a lot better than I thought it was going to. Uh, He's already had some stitches taken out. He has some other self-dissolving ones that are still in his face. He hit off of a tee on Sunday. He said said that he feels okay now, and uh, they actually expect him to be ready for opening day. Uh, They want to wait until the rest of those – uh, stitches uh, dissolve in his face, but uh, he is probably going to be ready for opening day. It It is a minor miracle. And, f- and if you think about it, the other thing I didn't realize is uh, this guy must wear a horseshoe around his neck because he got hit in the face in college as well. And it, He played in a 2003 College World Series for Cal State Fullerton and got hit in the face in a game there too. And just like now, he just suffered a laceration no broken bones. So he is a very, very lucky man, uh, or he's got some really, really uh, dense bones. But either way, I mean, to get hit in the face twice, most you know baseball players don't get hit in the face at all. And like I said, I took one off the noggin one time, but it hit my helmet, and it was a breaking ball. <laughs> I can't – I mean, he took a fastball off the face and is going to be ready to play for opening day. I think that is a miracle. Uh, the Red Sox are going to get some help back. Yu Chang is on his way back with Chinese Taipei being eliminated in that uh, uh, tiebreaker in Pool A. Uh, he will be back uh, with the Red Sox this year. He did a, he did a great job for Chinese Taipei. He was actually the MVP of Pool A, even though his team didn't advance. Went 7 for 16 with a couple of doubles, a couple of homers, eight runs, batted in. Uh, signed by the Red Sox back in February, so that was a good sign. Um uh, Richard Blyer, pitching for Team Israel, by the way, pitched a scoreless eighth inning when they beat uh, Nicaragua, one of the other Red Sox players. Kike Hernandez, uh, one for four uh, in their last game, but they fell to Venezuela 9-6. Puerto Rico is uh, in danger of not advancing as well, so Kike may be back. Uh, Masataka Yoshida was 0 for 4 in his last game uh, against Australia, but, uh, again, they are very, very uh, high on uh, Yoshida. By the way, I found out that he likes to go by uh, M- Masa. So I guess that's going to be his. Except when I say Masa, it sounds like I'm getting ready to make tamales. Um, uh, last Red Sox news, uh, Garrett Whitlock will make his spring training debut on Wednesday against the Rays at JetBlue Park, which is great. He'll pitch after Corey Kluber uh, on Wednesday. And Brian Bayo is going to throw a two-inning live batting practice this week. And if he comes out of that, they're going to start working him into the rotation. But uh, that's good news because they really, uh, really need this guy. 
It is 47 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. Um, injury news in Major League Baseball. Craig Stamen uh, announced yesterday that uh, he has suffered uh, a shoulder injury uh, throwing on Friday, uh, a torn capsule, uh, and he strained the uh, subscapula in that um, in that shoulder, and he said that it is highly unlikely that he pitches again. So uh, he's, he turned 39 on Thursday, and he said, look, um, you know, and he's, he was in uh, Padres camp as a, uh, uh, a non-roster player. He pitched the last six seasons with the Padres. He's actually their longest tenured player. Uh, but he said, uh, he, he said, you know, at this point in my career, he said, uh, I'm at peace. He said, you know, I'm, I'm fighting back tears when I talk to certain people, but he said, I really feel at peace with this whole thing. He, see, he said he knew it was kind of a possibility last year. Uh, and he said he's already kind of uh, uh, quote, gone through, quote-unquote, the grieving process already. But uh, sad news, Craig Stamen, who was a solid reliever, uh, likely done uh, with his career because of a, a shoulder injury. And uh, it must be good to be Corbin Carroll today. Corbin Carroll is 22 years old, uh, appeared in a handful of games uh, last year for the Arizona Diamondbacks, 32 games, hit 260. Uh, four homers, 14 runs batted in, a couple of stolen bases in those 32 games. Well, the Arizona Diamondbacks locked him up to an extension uh, last uh, yesterday. Eight years, $111 million with a ninth-year club option, uh, which, if exercised, would pay him an additional $23 million. Um, it is the largest contract ever signed by a player with fewer than 100 days of Major League service time and no foreign playing experience. So $111 million for eight years for a kid who's 22 years old and has played 32 games in Major League Baseball. God, it's <laughs> it's good to be him. Uh, Kiebert Ruiz, the catcher for the Washington Nationals, they uh, he has agreed to a long-term extension with the Nationals, an eight-year deal for $50 million bucks and two club options tacked on to the end of that. Ruiz is 24. He was acquired by the Nationals from the Dodgers uh, in 2021 as part of the trade that sent Max Scherzer and Trey Turner uh, to the Dodgers. Um, he's hit 257, nine homers in 135 big league games. Look, he's not um, he's not one of the best defensive catchers in baseball, um, but he, he catches the ball okay. He's just not. A, he doesn't have a great arm. Um, so, but he's, uh, he handles the pitching staff fairly well, even though he can't throw anybody out. You can definitely run on him. Um, which is probably why the eight year deal is only worth 50 million bucks. Only, only million, which is what? About seven and a half million bucks a year. I don't think he'll be on the bread line, uh, anytime soon. Uh, hockey yesterday, Bruins, woo. Bruins, uh, had to play back to back games on Saturday. They played. The Detroit Red Wings got down two nothing. Ended up coming back uh, to win that game, three to two. Then they have to get on a flight and fly to Detroit and play the Red Wings again on Sunday. They looked like a different team. They were down four nothing late in the second period. Uh, they made a valiant effort to come back. They got it back within four to three with about thirteen and a half minutes to go. Detroit got an empty netter. And uh, the Red Wings win that one 
uh, five to three. And you know, a lot of people were saying, "Well, you know, they had tired legs. You know, back-to-back games, yada yada yada." Uh, and good for Jim Montgomery, the head coach. He said, um, "The Red Wings had to do the same thing." Right. And he said, and by the way, uh, we all of a sudden figured out how to start playing again late in the second period. So I'm not buying the whole, uh, you know, tired thing. Uh, At the end of the day, look, the Bruins on Saturday with their 50th victory of the season, the fastest to ever get to 50 victories. uh, They did it in 64 games, beating the uh, uh, the old record of 66. Uh, And they qualified. uh, They clinched their playoff bid. First team in the NHL to clinch a playoff berth uh, with that 50th win on Saturday. They now have 105 points. Uh, and uh, yesterday, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes got shut out. So they uh, they don't gain on the Bruins. So they are 94 points behind. So now it is the Hurricanes and the New Jersey Devils in second place in the Eastern Conference with 94 wins apiece. The Devils shut out the Hurricanes yesterday. Uh, three to nothing, uh, and uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins with a win yesterday as well. Uh, they now uh, have a one-game lead in the wild card standings in the Western Conference. Uh, Vegas does it again. They win. They uh, widen their lead a little bit in the Western Conference. Eighty-eight points now uh, as the uh, the Golden Knights beat the St. Louis Blues yesterday by a final of five to three. Uh, at the TPC Sawgrass, Scotty Scheffler runs away with it on the final day, wins four and a half million bucks to win the Players Championship, uh, and returns to the number one position in the world for the second time this year. He now has six victories in his last twenty-seven starts, uh, including the, he had four wins last year, including the Masters, and of course the Masters coming up here in uh, just about three weeks' time. Uh, NASCAR yesterday, William Byron wins his second straight race, just like last week. He took advantage of a late restart, and uh, he edges out Kyle Larson to win the race at Phoenix. Uh, Looked like Kevin Harvick was going to win this thing, but there was a uh, caution with 10 laps left, with Harvick winning the race by about three and a half seconds, and it looked like he had it uh, had it made, uh, but then one of the drivers had a, a blowout, and we had de- debris on the track, so they brought the caution out, and William Byron took control after that to win the race at Phoenix. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Uh, it's Neil Sedaka's birthday today. Remember him? He is 84 years old today, uh, and on our way out, his little Neil Sedaka. It's laughter in the rain. This one came out back in the... Uh, I guess it must have been the late 70s, the last big hit that Neil Sedaka had, but he's still alive and kicking at 84. Happy birthday, Neil. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.